The World is Noisy, God Whispers, the podcast is a production of Journeys Revealed Ministries. Glorify the Lord by your life. To learn more about this Catholic nonprofit apostolate, visit the website journeysrevealed.com. And now on with this month's show. All right, so welcome everyone to The World is Noisy, God Whispers, the podcast in this very special Lenten podcast series called Seeking My Love with um, a Lenten journey with St. John of the Cross. I have with me in my office, if you are following this, we are recording it live on the Julia Mon and Author Facebook page. So thank you for joining us if you're able to live. And if not, the audio will be available. Um, video will stay posted where you can watch it anytime. Long intro to I'm Not Alone. Someone is joining me. Father Jedediah Tridal is in my office joining me for this six-part series. How are you today, Father Jedediah? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. All in all, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we, um, I did like an intro podcast earlier this month, kind of set the stage as to why we are entering into this or why I felt like inspired to maybe do this podcast um, during Lent. And so I'm not going to repeat myself there. But Father Jedediah was a natural choice. If I'm going to do a podcast, first of all, if we're going to do a podcast on the saints, why not start with one of the loftiest mystical doctors of the church? That's right. right. It's only easy from here. (laughs) (laughs) And that is, that is our way of saying that St. John of the Cross, um, isn't super easy to understand. And he even says that in his writings a lot, like this is hard for me to understand and it's going to be hard for you to understand. Um, but because he's so lofty and mystical, he sometimes is um, very easily misunderstood, and I think the love that we both have for him and the devotion we both have for him, it seemed natural to kind of try to tackle this together. Sure. Certainly I'm not tackling it on my own. Yeah, 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 likewise. <laughs> so so we kind of talked about what, what we were going to do, so just a general intro, general layout. We're kind of going to just slowly kind of work our ways each week through some of his, um, his more profound writings, and today we're going to begin with the spiritual canticle. So before we do that, let's go ahead and um, put ourselves in the presence of God. I want to open with prayer reflection. These are actually John's words. By the way, we are quoting and pulling from the ICS publication of the collected works of St. John of the Cross. If you're watching the video, I have an old one. I've got a newer one. <laughs> and Father Jedi has the newer one. Um, but anyway, this is the ICS translation, ICS publications. It was the CarmelCast podcast by ICS that actually inspired me to do this. So shout out to everyone at ICS. And if you're looking for great Carmelite writings of the Carmelite saints or Carmelite inspiration, please go to ICS publications and get your books from them. So anyway, that's what we're pulling from. And so in their translation, to begin by prayer, putting ourselves in the presence of God, inviting St. John of the Cross's intercession with us today. I'm going to read a quote of his. This is at the very beginning in his prologue of the spiritual canticle. St. John of the Cross writes, Since these stanzas then were composed in a love flowing from abundant mystical understanding, I cannot explain them adequately, nor is it my intention to do so. I only wish to shed some general light on them since your reverence has desired this of me. I believe such an explanation will be more suitable It is better to explain the utterances of love in their broadest sense so that each one may derive profit from them according to the mode and capacity of one's own spirit, rather than narrow them down to a meaning unadaptable to every palate. 
As a result, though we give some explanation of these stanzas, there is no reason to be bound to this explanation. For mystical wisdom, which comes through love and is the subject of these stanzas, need not be understood distinctly in order to cause love and affection in the soul. For it is given according to the mode of faith, through which we love God and without understanding him. And so, again, John mentions right there that he cannot explain them adequately. It's not even his intention to do so. He's kind of giving us this broad look at everything. He's like giving us everything and trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to draw each heart, right? Each heart to him and, and understand to a place of greater understanding. So I thought it was good to start there. That way, if people feel stretched or we say something that it's like, I have no idea what that means, then you can know you're not alone. Because none of us do. <laughs> no, I, I, I underlined that exact <laughs> same passage uh, as like, I think a, a great place to start. Because mm -hmm. that's, uh, yeah, on, on one hand, you know, we're entering into John's prayer, right? His, his experience of God and his, uh, his mystical experience, just his, his daily, his practices, his, uh, his prayers, asceticism. And so there's a... Uh, John is the subject, we're joining with him, right? Mm -hmm. But also that experience of God is, uh, I mean, God is objective. You know, God is someone that uh, that we're all seeking. And so everyone, you know, ideally is seeking God in the life of prayer, that sort of thing. And so we're kind of walking with John and he's kind of helping us. So even if our experience of God is not the exact same as John's, that's okay. We're still going to derive some profit from this because uh, he's teaching, he's leading us ideally to the same God that we're seeking. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. And so let's give, before we actually get into this first work we're discussing today, the spiritual canticle, what that is, what is outlined here in this translation, and all the ins and outs of that, let's give just a little bit of context. Like, mm -hmm. who is John of the Cross? When did he live? Um, and I really, I, I feel like you can do this better than I can, but uh, part of the reformed order of the of the Carmelites, the Discalced Reform Order that was begun by St. Teresa of Avila, and then St. Teresa kind of brought John with her to help reform the friars of that order. So can you just give us like a little context of who John and Teresa are and what this Discalced Order is and like what the, just a general idea of the charism of this order? Sure. Uh, do so not to... Uh... This, this, this is painting in very, very broad yeah. brushstrokes for the right. record. Uh, so kind of place ourselves in the in the 16th century, which for all intents and purposes was a raucous century, in, uh, not just in Europe, but even in uh, North and South America, you had the missions. Uh, but in, in Europe, you had you know, the Protestant Reformation uh, picking up in 1517 and going on throughout uh, uh, that century. Uh, the disintegration of the Holy Roman Empire, so that the German city-states were falling apart. Uh, you had religious wars, you had scandalous and often unlearned clergy, so the priests couldn't really uh, be part of the solution in many cases. You had church scandal, uh, heresies running rampant. Uh, you had the Council of Trent trying to, trying to reform these things politically and spiritually. You had the printing press, so all of a sudden you have this vast dissemination of information. Uh, so all all this is going on in Europe, uh, and but it's also a time of great saints, right? So you got you know Borromeo, Ignatius of Loyola, Francis Xavier, Neri, Teresa of Jesus, John of the Cross, uh, and so many others. And I guess in very very broad brushstrokes for the uh, Teresa's reform, uh, Teresa set out to restore uh, what was called the unmitigated rule, so the unaltered or unamended uh, Carmelite rule, which was in force. 
think before 1432, right? So a little bit stricter of a schedule, smaller uh, monasteries, uh, maybe less fraternizing outside the monasteries, you know, not having so many guests coming in. Uh, I think reinstituting the, they're called the Carmelite fast from the Triumph of the Cross all the way to Easter. So like a very, very long Lent for them. Uh, like no covered shoes. So that's what they were called, discalced, uh, which uh, uh, is just Latin for unshoed, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, they wore sandals. And so I think uh, Teresa founded the first Reformed Carmel in 1562, San Jose, St. Joseph uh, Monastery. And so there's just a greater focus on the contemplative life, you know, the two hours of mental prayer every day, time for solitude with the Lord, prayer for the church. And the world, prayer for priests, you know, you see that a lot in their way, to, way of perfection, uh, praying for priests, praying for the, the Lutherans and other Protestants uh, at the time. Uh, and then she found this uh, a priest named, or a friar named John of St. Matthias at the time. He had gone through his formation uh, as a Carmelite, uh, and he made his first profession in 1564 and then was ordained to the priesthood a couple years later in 15. 67, and he was actually determined, uh, kind of the famous story about John is that he wanted to be a Carthusian, because he also had this greater attraction to uh, a life of solitude, greater spiritual life, uh, making time to be alone with the Lord, and this sort of more eremitic way of life that you would find with the, Car uh, the Carthusians' charism, and he ends up meeting Teresa, again, very, very broad brushstrokes, but he meets Teresa and uh, she's heard of his aspirations and his desires to enter this more contemplative life. And uh, she asks him to help her uh, do that, but in, in the order, like in, in Carmel, uh, and to sort of help, help her double down on that contemplative dimension to the order. Uh, and so then in 1568, the first reformed monastery for the friars, she had it for the uh, I guess the second order, if you want to call it that, the uh, the cloistered nuns. And then he founds the uh, the first friary in Duberello in uh, in Spain, Duberello, and uh, takes a new name, kind of emphasizing the new uh, the new way of life, and takes up the cross instead of Saint Matthias. So John Saint Matthias becomes uh, Father Fray John of the Cross. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a basics for yeah. Very, yeah, where he is or what the, what the context is. So right. context of reform, the necessity of reform all throughout Europe, all throughout the church, and God raising up these great saints who uh, oftentimes are seeking reform through the life of prayer mm -hmm. more so than uh, structural reform, mm -hmm. interestingly enough. Right. And I find it interesting that after John comes on with Teresa and they they work together to to grow this reform and for this reformed order that yeah he takes a different name right and he chooses Saint John of the Cross. Mm. Let that be a warning to anyone. Little did he know. <laughs> to be a warning to anyone who's choosing a religious name if you put cross in your name. Um yeah the Lord will make you understand why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and John but but John so John and we'll talk about that more as the six part series kind of unfolds John's life and his sufferings and all of that, especially as we talk about the ascent of Mount Carmel and his work, The Dark Knight. Um, but for now, all you need to know is that he did find great beauty in his sufferings. And it was in this darkness, in these, these sufferings that he underwent, that he realized and, and really his soul was drawn into these depths of God. And, that he, and it was because he went through those sufferings, not only that he himself experienced this growth of the soul leading into this union of God, but then he was able to verbalize it with the re to the rest of us, right? right. Um, and actually give us this outline of 
This is what actually happens in the soul. And when I first started reading Teresa and John and reading about their, their looks at the life of prayer and the life of the soul, it was so easy to compare them to like a doctor at the body. Just like mm-hmm. you went to your doctor, that doctor knew, here's the issue in your shoulder. Here's what we need to do to remedy it, to fix it. Here's what you can expect once it's done and continues its part of healing, right? Just like that, like Teresa and John had these insights into the life of our souls, into the life of prayer that help us understand like, This is what is to be expected as your soul journeys to God and as it goes from where it is now and on this journey to spiritual betrothal, spiritual marriage, to this union with God, which are words that you're going to hear Father Jedediah and I say a lot as we do this podcast, because this is the terminology that John uses so frequently, this spiritual betrothal, this spiritual union. Sometimes we've in the, um, the spiritual life, we can hear like, the purgative way, the illuminative way, the mm-hmm. unitive way. One way to describe sort of these phases sure. the soul goes through. And I believe if I'm remembering right, I've talked about that on past podcasts. In fact, it's coming back to me. I did a podcast not too long ago. on It was called Praying with Teresa Vavala and Teresa Lasso, And I think we talked about that on that. So I want to spend a lot of time repeating that here. Um, but anyway, this is the main idea is that our souls aren't stagnant. At least they're not meant to be. They're meant to be constantly and continuously growing in their depth and in their union with God. Not just in the life that is to come, but here in this life. Even now, right? Even now, exactly. And so John's writings, like Teresa's as well, John's what we're focusing on now. John's writings give us an insight into the how, the what, and the why behind this soul's growth and progression. I think that's uh, you know you, you kind of mentioned it earlier that one of the like one of the great reasons or great uh, hopefully fruit of doing this kind of going through some mm-hmm. of his works is to maybe clear up some of those misunderstandings uh, that John is not this dour misanthrope you know and uh, I, I know <laughs> for myself my first exposure to John of the Cross was uh, reading The Dark Knight with no no context uh, or help anything like that. I think after the summer after my first year in college seminary mm. and I read that and I was like, well, I didn't understand that at all. I guess I don't really like the spiritual life because I'll take care of the, uh, I guess I'll focus on the intellectual life. That'll, uh-huh. be, that'll be better. Mm. And but that just made perfect sense to, in my head at the time mm-hmm. versus, Hey, this is something that <laughs> needs some context. needs some framework. Uh, this isn't like read this book in one, oh, it's only 90 pages or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, knock that out in one or two sittings, you mm-hmm. know, uh, it's not like that. These are things you kind of take a step back pray with, uh, spend time with, and I think, you know, come back to mm-hmm. many times over one's life. That it's, mm-hmm. uh, but, that, but that John's primarily focused in, uh, you know, the soul seeking union with God mm-hmm. versus suffering for the sake of suffering. Like it's, it's, and we'll get more into that, obviously, with the Sentinel Carmel, the Dark Knight, but it's accepting suffering for the sake of, you know, uh, stripping away all those things in our hearts, uh, all the loves that we have that aren't God, mm-hmm. and that's not an overnight thing. Mm-hmm. You know, outside of an extraordinary moment of grace, like a, but even St. Paul, you know, that extraordinary moment of grace, said he, well, he went to Arabia for mm-hmm. a couple years before coming back to meet with Cephas, right? Mm-hmm. So even there, there's, there's time for growth. So that's uh, kind of where John's, where John's bringing us to be. Like, this is supposed to be uh, really a spiritual love story, like mm-hmm. uh, our souls and, and Christ and drawing closer to him and accepting whatever comes, even if that is sufferings and things like that. Right. So hopefully we kind of show that he's a, if anything, more of a spiritual romantic than a 
dour misanthrope, right? Yes. I like saying dour misanthrope. <laughs> I, I like hearing you say that. I, I, I'm really going to enjoy sitting down with you <laughs> for these next six weeks. Um, so, yeah, so I think when we were kind of doing some pre pre-production like prep for this when we talked about like what our goals what our hopes are it's certainly not that after you tune in for these six weeks that you're going to be an expert on john and on his writings and you're going to be go out and teach everything that he's that he's written about that's not the goal yeah i'm but, sure not that so. yeah, I would <laughs> if you end that. up doing that great that's, great. that's god's <laughs> the work the lord's grace is that yeah. you're like I, our goal is really just to introduce you to him, introduce you to the depth he gives us, the insight he gives us into the interior life. And really, like you mentioned, because you can't just like read him without framework or context. It makes no sense. You, it's, it's, in fact, I pulled that out. We'll see if I can find it. Like he, he just says it's, it's asinine, like to think that you can read this without some framework and that it's going to make sense to you. So we're hoping to kind of give you some sense of a framework so that you're not so intimidated by, by him. And like you, when I first, I was given this book as a gift, actually, in 2015. This was before I even, or it was at the very beginning of my, my life in Carmel, before I was even beginning formation at all. By the way, I don't talk about that much, but I am in formation for entry into the secular order of the Discalced Carmelites, which is why I've begun studying him so much. And God willing, I'll make my definitive promises on December 14th of this year, John's yeah, Feast Day. congratulations. So, very exciting. But I was given this as a gift, and I wrote down a note. I was given it on October 21st of 2015, and I just was, like, reading it like any other book. Just open it up and start at the beginning, right? And you just kind of go through it. Well, the beginning was poetry, so mm -hmm. that was good. Um, and I can remember certain parts, but then as I got into The Ascent of Mount Carmel, which was the next book in this collection, I was like, Mm, no. What happened? <laughs> We're just going to put that down. Where's the rhymes? <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to put that down for later. And so, yeah, a later did come. Um, but anyway, that's our that's our goal. Not certainly that we'll be experts, but that we'll, we'll have this framework. And so the spiritual canticle. Mm -hmm. Why are we beginning with the spiritual canticle? What is the overall snapshot of this? And what can what can people expect if they dive into this a little bit more? Uh, well, let's see. Why start with the spiritual canticle? So... Maybe some people are familiar with the uh, the book by uh, Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene, Divine Intimacy, uh, just a collection of meditations for the liturgical year. And he talks about starting with the spiritual canticle. He's, he is a discussed kind of white friar since past, but uh, mm -hmm. talks about starting with the spiritual canticle because it shows us where we're going. You know? So instead of starting with, you know, the dark night, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is not really meant to be the starting work in the first place, mm -hmm. uh, instead of starting with, uh, you know, the the dark parts, you know, and the, and the suffering and things like that, we're talking about this uh, journey of seeking God, you know, and this, uh, like the spirit, like the spiritual canticle being the, uh, a, a mystical poem, you know, about the soul seeking, uh, seeking the Lord, you know, seeking, mm -hmm. seeking its beloved, mm -hmm. and, um, and then John's commentary on that, which is the, the work, you know, is the spiritual canticle. And so really, so it shows us, you know, where it is we're going, uh, sort of in a, a poetic poetic way, the entire spiritual life encapsulated in this uh, in this work from mm -hmm. John and then his explanation of it. So it's it ideally should I think kind of inflame our hearts to say, yeah, you know, I I, I want that. Like that's mm -hmm. that's the uh, the understanding of the intimacy with the Lord that I want in my life. And what do I have to do to get that? And then we kind of take a step back and say, well, here's sort of the roadmap. But in, in general terms, here's the roadmap that. John and, and just the, the whole church's whole mystical tradition 
gives to us to uh, to seek the Lord mm-hmm. in those terms. But we start with where it is we're going, mm-hmm. and we start with you know the the love really and the and desire that should be the the engine of seeking the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so that is that is what our lives here are this love story being played out, being unfolded between the beloved God and us, right? The bridegroom Christ and us, his bride. And so the spiritual canticle kind of encapsulates that in a very real way. It gives you this, this um, really all different stages of the soul's journey, but ultimately where it's heading. And like you said, it kind of like makes you salivate a little bit. Like mm-hmm. it's like seeing something, some delicious meal put out in front of you. Like, Oh, I want that. <laughs> right. And it does. I, as I, as I was rereading my notes in preparation for being here today, I can't tell you how many times I wrote, Oh my gosh, like I'm swooning. Like you do, you just feel like this, this swoon happening in your soul. And so the canticle, the spiritual canticle, which is a poem, right, is a poem, gives us this, this breakdown of the, the soul's journey. So it breaks down into like the first 12 stanzas of this poem, the search for the beloved, that here we are, we said it, 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 it's described as this initial burst into song. The bride laments the absence of her bridegroom. It's the very first steps of the spiritual journey and these longings and the weariness of impatient love. So here we are searching for our beloved. This is what's captured in the first 12 stanzas of his poem. Continuing then, the the next few stanzas are these preparations for perfect union. And so let's talk about that for a second. Let's pause. Because terminology break. <laughs> terminology break. So let's talk about this. Like, what does this mean when you and I say, when John says, when Teresa says, when we're reading about this union with God, what actually is that? Sure. So I'll kind of go to, uh, again, Father Gabriel's mm-hmm. book, just so you know, I'm not, I'm not making it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about, uh, this is a great book, by the way, Union with God, Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene. Phenomenal just introduction to John of the Cross. Uh, kind of brings all this theology together and helps it really make sense uh, for you. But uh, so he talks about that, uh, you know, as the church, we talk about the church as the mystical body of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this uh, union of Christ with humanity, with with all the baptized, his mystical body. And so, there, so we kind of use this uh, nuptial terminology, the same kind of terminology uh, of uh, marriage, right? Christ the bride, the church is the bridegroom. Uh, the, the, you can say even like the union of, like one flesh, right? Christ in the mystical body, like the church and Christ being being one in, in a union there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's And that's nothing new. It's nothing novel. We see the same thing in Song of Songs, you know, so that's very scriptural, you know, and uh, uh, St. Paul talks about, you know, husbands and wives as Christ in the church, things like that. So there's, so there's this nuptial language. And then that also extends, you know, the church is not just a community, it's individuals, that that union... Uh, extends to each individual believer that there is a uh, uh, this sense of union with one's with one soul union of one soul with Christ in this uh, almost romantic chase if mm-hmm. you want to if you want to put it like that mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of language might seem almost like off-putting it might it probably does seem off-putting if you've never heard that kind of language used for the spiritual life uh, but it'd be the same sort of thing of like you open up Song of Songs and you're like, why is, how did this get past the censors? You know, right. <laughs> uh, right. how the FCC let this in? Or, and <laughs> even if it got in here, like, why is this in the scripture? In the scriptures, what is this, uh, what is this accomplishing? Mm-hmm. And, but then you look at, you know, 
Pope St. Gregory, you look at Gregory of Nyssa, you look at the Church Fathers, you look at the, the mystics, Teresa of Avila, uh, and they're all doing commentaries on Song of Songs. So not only is it like important, but like this is like one of the books that it seems like everyone everyone wants a piece of in some way. And like this is this is clearly teaching something very fundamental to the nature of being a Christian. And uh, I know a lot of language that John uses is taken from Song of Songs or that nuptial language uh, imagery. Uh, uh, and it's the same thing, even if you go back and look at, I think it's St. Gregory of Nyssa, the Eastern Fathers, uh, commentary on the Song of Songs. Uh, he uses a lot of the same, uh, he interprets it the same way that John does. So this is, this is nothing new to John, right? He's just, he's just speaking about it in a different way. This, this nuptial sense of almost a, uh, like a marital nuptial union of the soul and Christ. And maybe that's, that's one thing, a good thing to point out is, uh, you know, we don't have, like theologically speaking, like in scholastic theology, like there are, there are not you know male souls and female souls. There's simply the human soul, and the human soul is generally spoken of in a a feminine metaphysically a metaphysically feminine context, in the same way that the church is spoken of in a feminine context, like the the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. It doesn't mean that everyone in the church is a woman. It means uh, there's a an, a feminine uh, receptive, if you want to put it like metaphysically, aspect to the church and to the soul. And that's, you even see that in, in the language, like anima in Latin, it's a feminine word. Psyche uh, in Greek, it's a feminine word. Stila, feminine, German, alma, Spanish, fem uh, feminine. Uh, so, there's this, so there's this feminine sense to the soul, and that's kind of where uh, linguistically and uh, with the images that where John's coming from. So this is not a new thing. This isn't something to make you totally wig out, like, whoa, this is, this is kind of out there. Uh, mm. It's This is something that I mean, goes back centuries. This is part of Christian tradition. This is part of Jewish tradition, you know, in the Old Testament. This is part of even just uh, secular tradition, you know, like Christians didn't invent the Greek and Latin language. Mm -hmm. I, I, when I was first reading and, like, introduced to this idea, this 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 phraseology, like you mentioned, mentioned this nuptial terminology, I was never offended. In fact, it spoke to my soul in ways that I just felt like made complete sense. Because by the time I was a little girl, you know, wearing princess costumes and watching princess movies and then growing, watching rom-com shows, like my heart was always longing for this, like, you know, the prince to come in and this nuptial marriage and all of this. And so this terminology actually really always set really well with me and like made so much sense in the life of my soul. Um, so this idea of like union with God, like, I guess it, what it made sense is all these longings, all these desires that we have in us, even as young girls was like, oh yeah, it was all drawing me towards Christ and all pointing me towards, it was all a longing that in its essence, in its core, in its purity is meant to go to God. Just like our physical hunger here reminds us of our hunger for Christ, like this desires for this, this bridegroom to come sweep me off my feet weren't wrong. They were just directed to the wrong people when I was younger. And then the Lord showed me, you know, direct it to me. Right. And so anyway, this union with God is this, um, should I say, goal, quote unquote, of our soul's journeys here. That God, we go through these different stages We where he, he purifies us. 
where he redirects us, where he draws us into the depths of his love, ultimately leading to this union with him. And this union with, with God isn't union of feelings. It's not, I feel good all the time and everything is joyful and can't wait to talk about the ascent because we'll talk more about all of that. But it's a union of wills. Mm. So what God wills is what my soul wills, right? And elsewhere in John's writings, he even writes that what you want for me, I ask for Lord. And what you don't want for me, it doesn't even cross my mind to even ask for because I don't want it. <laughs> right. And this is that idea of we're drawn into this union with him, this, which is this union of wills, right? That it's no longer Julia's will or father Jedediah's will. It's God's will working in us and through us. And anyway, so this is like where we're heading in this spiritual canticle again, this poem which then in this ICS publication, you have all the commentary, which is where John explains what is really going on in the poem or what he meant by it, or at least one aspect of what he meant. Mm -hmm. He says you can take it wherever you want it to go, but where, where he was writing it, what he meant by it. And then it shows this progression, right? So again, the first few stanzas, this search for the beloved, the next few stanzas, this preparation for this perfect union, which by the way, this preparation often includes suffering mm -hmm. and trials um, and count it's, it's encountering of this loving union, this urgent desires for this complete freedom from this inner, from the inner and from the outer obstacles. So from these inner things that we're attached to from the outside forces that are yelling at us, these noise, and it's preparing us to basically be stripped of all of that so that we can be conformed to him. Right. Uh, away from the world and conformed completely to him. And then the last few stanzas are this. Um, this full union, indicative of this full union, the mutual total surrender and gift of self in the spiritual marriage. Um, it's this comparison of the present with the past, and then it shows the delights of union and the desires for the vision of glory, so our lives to come, right? Um, and so, yeah, this, this union with God, I think that's the big eye-opening thing since I started to study these writings in this mystical marriage language is that in eternal life, we do experience it in the fullness of the beatific vision, but that doesn't mean we can't experience it here. And in fact, we're meant to. And in fact, our lives here are this love story. The spiritual canticle is at its essence, a love story. And again, it's pulling from, like you mentioned, the song of songs in scripture, which you can see that here if you are watching this online as well. Like it's the heart of the Bible, right? It's the heart. It's right smack dab in the middle. It's like the essence of all of this is this bridegroom, God calling out to us, his bride, drawing us into the depths of his love. It is in essence, a love story. Our lives here are a love story, right? And this is seeking of the beloved. And you see like right off, right off the bat, the first verse that this is, like, this is something initiated by God, right? So this is, uh, like what I'm saying, Paul talks about like, the Holy Spirit interceding for us. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to pray as we ought, mm -hmm. uh, kind of like God creating this desire in us for himself, right? right? That's one of the first uh, lines in here. Uh, you fled like the stag after wounding me. I went out calling you, but you were gone. So mm -hmm. this sense of God uh, putting this desire in the, in the heart of the one seeking him. Mm -hmm. And then uh, this on our side, you know, the proper ordering of, you know, that desire you talk about eros, like the, you know, in Greek, there's several words for love and eros is like the love that is from, is de desire, like desirous love. Uh, and so it's, that can be disordered, you know, to, uh, you know, lesser goods, you know, things that we desire that are harmful to our soul uh, at worst, or even just like not that important mm -hmm. at best. Uh, but what this is talking about is a proper ordering of that uh, eros and 
and that's what the word is, that erotic love mm -hmm. to God, like desire, desire, uh, the love of desire towards God. And so that's, so it kind of, on our part, also involves uh, um, reordering how we think about, you know, desire. Mm -hmm. Like what is, why did God give me this capacity to desire? Maybe it's not being lived out in a, in a moral way. Maybe it is, but it could be better. And ultimately, like this capacity of desire, this capacity to love uh, is there so that we can right, seek God mm -hmm. who called us first, inspired us first. Right, right. Yeah, where have you hidden, beloved, and left me moaning? You fled like the stag after wounding me. I went out calling you, but you were gone. Again, this, like, like you said, this intense desire put on your heart, and then it's this soul, like, yearning for that like where are you right and nothing nothing here is satisfying where are you right um so i think at the end of the show when we get done going through the ins and outs we'll perhaps recite the um, poem as our closing prayer to kind of give you guys some insight into where he's going it's one of his lengthier poems yeah mm -hmm. i think so yeah. um, um but anyway it's beautiful so then you can hear his words himself but yes yeah, so this is this is what's outlined here. Um, okay, what else in this, like, do you want to make sure we're touching on with the canticle? I hope we're already, like, just us talking about this yeah. is doing what John set out to do here, which was to make us salivate right. and want God more. This because because the thing is, is we can't we this desire. It has to start with a desire. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can't. What are we seeking if we're not desiring? We're not going anywhere if we don't have the desire first. And so maybe today's like focus is that just like we all grow in our desire to love him and to let him love us, which is the essence of our soul's journeys here, right? right. To love God and to let God love us. And to see that maybe God, or in fact, like God desires like a much deeper relationship with each one of us uh, on a personal level. And not just like that, oh, just brother, you got to have a personal relationship right. with Jesus. It's like, right. well, yeah, I mean, in a, in a real sense, yes, absolutely. Yeah. You do, but it's, it can become something that almost sounds trite when in fact it's like, you know, the, the Lord desires a much more intense personal relationship with us, with our souls, you know, a much greater union with our souls than maybe we want for ourselves mm -hmm. on one hand and, you know, a much greater union with our souls than we know with even possible mm -hmm. in this life. You know, like when you think of uh, med meditation, mental prayer, things like that, these, these aspects are just part of the Christian life. You know, often we can think of, uh, you know, a, a, a monk taking a vow of silence somewhere off on an island uh, outside of Ireland or something, mm -hmm. like Luke Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when in reality, it's like, this is the, you know, really, this is the, the uh, what's the word, the, Heritage, I don't know, or the uh, the right, not, not right, right, so that way we put it, but the uh, maybe the gift to all baptized mm -hmm. faithful, like mm -hmm. by virtue of like God dwelling in the soul, there's already a, a union affected there by virtue of our baptism, and you know, we can we can grow in our awareness of that of that union, awareness of God's presence in our lives uh, tremendously, and uh, I hope for myself that I like seek the Lord in that way and I hope other people do too because it's mm -hmm. it's not something reserved to any particular vocation and certainly different ways of life make that easier right mm -hmm. or or to a greater or lesser degree but that's the that's the privilege of every baptized Christian and I hope anyone listening mm -hmm. uh, takes that to heart that like the Lord wants to know you better than you know yourself mm -hmm. frankly <laughs> mm -hmm. and he obviously does but this is the beauty of this love story 
is he wants you to know yeah, that he knows you better you than you know That's yourself. A better way to put it, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like having this awareness of the depth of his love for you and the fact that he delights in you, that you are a joy to him. Um, and that it's not just, I just going to show up so I can pass the test when my time comes, right? It's that you are made for this deep union for, for him and that he is longing for you in greater ways than what you are even longing for him, which is what's really touched on at the end of this spiritual canticle. Like the middle talks a lot about, um, the obstacles that you have to overcome along the way. Um, the, the forces inside of us, outside of us, um, spiritual warfare, all of that, that has to be overcome in order to get to this point. But then this end really highlights on this, not only is it, are we, am I the soul longing for him, but then you begin to realize how much he is longing for you, right? Um, and then, by the way, if you need proof of that, just go to any local Catholic church and take a look at the crucifix, um, which is a great time during Lent to go ahead and do that or pray the station for the cross. If, you need to, if you're questioning how much he loves you, then I certainly encourage you to spend much more time reflecting on what he suffered for you. If that is not proof that someone loves you, then I don't know what is. But anyway, um, I don't know where I was going with any of that, except that, yes, we are made for that. And... And in here, John mentions, too, about, um, you know, God, it's always God's grace at work. But in the desire that we desire him, he can then desire us. Like, it is this receptive thing, you know, tying into, like, our free will. Right. That God doesn't impose this deep relationship on any of us, right? Um, but that he is inviting each and every one of us. And by virtue of our baptism, we've already got a big foot in the door. Right. <laughs> Um, into the into these depths. Um, yeah, just like you just talked about, like uh, in the commentary on stanza eleven, like John talks about, like the, the ways God's God is present within us, or the way there's there's union with our soul. The first presence is one by essence, uh, which means that by virtue of being created, you know, God's present in that way as our Creator, right? Mm -hmm. So He's He's present with everyone by virtue of essence, right? And then the second presence is by grace. Uh, that's you know, the grace of baptism. So in that, in that sense that uh, all those who are baptized, God's present in sanctifying grace, right? which, which can only be uh, even, even like lost, but like darkened by mortal sin. But even that, uh, you know, we go to confession and like that, that sanctifying grace is active again. So that God's presence by grace. And then this is the third presence. So what we were talking about is we call spiritual affection. So that like spiritual, like affective love and desire. Uh, that God grants God grants a spiritual presence to devout souls in many ways, and uh, talks about that being like the awareness of God's presence. That's, that's that He's objectively present by virtue of being our Creator, objectively present in baptism, and then that third presence is one that we're aware that He's present. So kind of like our minds are present to His presence. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that made total sense yeah. to me. You guys, you guys follow? Yeah. Of course. They say hi. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, okay, so in that same section where he's talking about the commentary on stanza 11, I had something that really jumped out to me. So let me read you. This, these are John's words. Since sinners love the life of this world intensely and have little love for that of the other, they have an intense fear of death. But the soul that loves God lives more in the next life than in this. For a soul lives where it loves more than where it gives life. 
and thus takes little account of this temporal life. This idea that the soul lives where it loves reminds me of, um, is it Matthew 6, like where your, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be, or whatever that will be, but the soul lives where it's love, and this, where it loves, this idea that, you know, when we're sinners and we're so, we're so engulfed and consumed with all these temporal things, then yeah, this idea of death fears us. But when you have, when your soul is being drawn into these depths and you are, you are loving the Lord, your soul is living there. And I can remember reading in um, Therese of Lisieux's last conversations, someone asked her on her deathbed, like, do you, are, are you fearing what's to come? And she just quite simply said something to the effect of, how can I fear him whom my soul loves so much? Like, it's not this fearful passing from this life into this next, it's, this is exactly what I have been waiting for my entire life and where the Lord has been calling me. Um, and so not a death, but a birth and a welcome into his arms and into his grace, which is so beautiful. So the soul lives where it loves. That was really something that struck me, especially powerfully this time when I was reading it. You know, actually, I have that same paragraph on your line. That's great. It's a great paragraph. But no, what it, what it does is it, it conquers the most guttural human fear, which is the fear of annihilation, right? Mm -hmm. Death mm -hmm. and uh, this this love of God, like dwelling on that, uh, overcomes the most like fundamental natural mm -hmm. fear of the human being, or even just like on a lower level, like of any animal. Like no animal wants to die, mm -hmm. you know. And we're mm -hmm. cog we're cognizant of the fact that we don't want to die, and uh, yeah, the soul lives. You say the soul lives where it loves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it begins to conquer that fear, mm -hmm. which is. Astounding. <laughs> it is. And then we have all the examples, of course, in the church of all the martyrs who were willing right. to sacrifice their, you know, and give their lives for this. Because of that, the Lord was prepping them for that, right? But they, they were already living in eternal life, and the Lord gave them what they needed to seal that with the with the kiss of death. <laughs> That's right. So, since you said that, let me at least read the uh, my, my favorite line in the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Which okay. Is, uh, I know where it is in the stands. I need to find it in the commentary. It's, uh, oh, it's not that far in. As how do you looking. live a love, or how do you, uh, live a life not living when you live? There it is. Okay. okay. How do you endure a life not living where you live? And, uh, it's, it's really kind of like, poetic alliteration in the Spanish it's o vida no viviendo donde vives you know like oh life not living while you live and so it's this sense of uh, yeah that our life is transitory and uh, we're not we're not living for this life alone and even the life we have now it's not life as it will be right it's not it's not eternal life and uh, uh, it's not as not as as real in a, in a fundamental sense as as heaven, mm -hmm. which is nice thought. Mm -hmm. It's a very nice thought. Can you, okay, so when before we when we were prepping for this podcast, if, again, if you're tuning and you're watching the video, you see this giant poster um, behind Father Jedediah and I of St. John of the Cross with one of his quotes, which reads, Love him intensely as he deserves to be loved. It's a quote from um, one of his letters, which is in the very back of this translation. But anyway, I was reaching out to Father saying, like, what, what quote would you want on there? 
And was that the quote that, that you... That was the quote, yeah. Well, first of all, <laughs> he texted to me in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish or read Spanish. So then I responded back, um, can you please send it to me in English? <laughs> and I had I had visually um, was having issues with how it was going to look on here visually. So I went with something shorter. But That's still a great line. That's pretty dope. Yeah. That is a pretty dope line. Can you read it one more time? And then also, because the Spanish is so beautiful, read it in Spanish. Okay. My apologies for the Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, it's the whole the whole uh, stanza is how do you endure O life not living where you live and being brought near death by the arrows you receive from that which you conceive of your beloved and he gives a whole commentary on that and that that one line is uh, o vida no viviendo donde vives so kind of that nice little D and D alliteration and he has a great explanation he says life of my soul how can you endure this bodily life for it is death to you and a privation of that true spiritual life in the body. Mm. You know how, like, you read about, like, certain scholars who learn certain languages so they could read the Bible in its original language? Like, like I, I desire to learn Spanish so that I can read the writings yeah. of John and Teresa in the original language they were written. But anyway, we'll see. Apparently it's, it's tough even for Spanish people. One of my classmates, is mm. uh, he speaks... Uh, Spain, Spanish, mm -hmm. and his, his mom's uh, Spanish and a, and a secular, mm -hmm. uh, discuss Carmelite. Mm -hmm. But uh, and he said, like, I think it's, particularly with Teresa, who I think it's a little more colloquial mm -hmm. Spanish, that uh, even he needs a dictionary mm -hmm. to get through some of it. Mm -hmm. it's kinda, you're just kind of like, you're yeah. just crushing my dreams. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, it's but I mean, it's uh, like, thankfully, I got enough Latin and Spanish in college seminary that mm -hmm. like, I could at least, like, read, mm -hmm. I can't speak it particularly well, but like read the Spanish like with John's poetry and mm -hmm. see that actually it rhymes, it has a really beautiful flow to it. And I think even among uh, like secular, like literary critics, like he's considered one of, if not the greatest, like classical Spanish poet, right? Mm -hmm. On a purely secular level. Sure, right. Even right. they know. Yeah. Even they know. Deep down. Deep down, <laughs> their hearts are saying, there's truth here. That's right. <laughs> and beauty and goodness. That's right. right? Okay. So um, I want I want to read as we kind of wrap up our thoughts here. This is towards the end of his commentary on this. Uh, John writes, "O souls created for these grandeurs and called to them, what are you doing? How are you spending your time? Your aims are base, and your possessions misery. O wretched blindness of your eyes! You are blind to so brilliant a light and deaf to such loud voices because you fail to discern." That insofar as you seek eminence and glory, you remain miserable, base, ignorant, and unworthy of so many blessings. O oh, souls created for these grandeurs and call to them, what are you doing? How are you spending your time? I almost wanted to end on that note today, but I thought that was a little harsh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I still think this is good for us to like call this to our minds, especially as we begin another season of Lent, this time that the church gives us, that God in his goodness gives us as this time of repentance, of renewal, of to really taking a deep look at not just our external lives and what we're addicted to, or I shouldn't say addicted, but attached to and normally in our external lives, but interiorly as well. Mm -hmm. And to know that we are made for this, this deep love, that no rom-com, even the best of them, 
hashtag sweet home Alabama could define (laughs) but that was like my go-to go-to rom-com when I was in college okay so um anyway we are made for this so what are we doing how are we spending our time what like this is really important and not only is it like important and you should just do it but your soul will find what it's truly made for and it is in finding what it's truly made for that you will finally find that peace that you're longing for and it ain't in earthly things or worldly things yeah he's got a, he's got a, a line in the uh, commentary on stanza 31 he says but after love through mortifications so the things we take on ourselves trials the things kind of thrust upon us and penance so reparation for previous sins after love through mortifications trials and penance becomes so detached and strong that no force or occasion can break it then god looks at it and takes the flowers of these garlands the flowers of the, the, uh, the growth we've uh, received, and then and binds them with it, and binds them with it, since it is strong enough to keep them fastened in the soul. So it's like God gives the, the virtues and the, the things that we uh, desire, the object of our love and desire, like after we've kind of opened ourselves to that. And so I mean, that's, that's perfect for uh, starting Lent, mm-hmm. penitential day, Friday, the penitential season, Lent, mm-hmm. that uh, it kind of throws it all back into the, uh, into the into the spiritual rom-com, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Of uh, like all the the trials, the mortifications, the penances, everything we're doing is to you know be detached from those things that are not living while we live, right? Mm-hmm. And to reattach ourselves through to be to let ourselves be reattached to the Lord, who's like he's the colloquial phrase of knocking on the door of our heart, but mm-hmm. is in fact knocking on the door of our heart. Yes. And there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things in the room. Trying to get to the door. There's a lot of things in that room, and so everything we do during Lent is to be clear some space in that room, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why we start with the spiritual canticle because it's like if we're going to talk about everything that needs to be done to clear space in that room, which for all of us is probably going to be a lot mm-hmm. and intensive, and uh, our entire lot, lot spiritual lives, mm-hmm. right, on Earth, uh, we have to know it's it's worth it, mm-hmm. you know, to to do this mm-hmm. and it is worth it to do this mm-hmm. and that's uh if you know if you don't take anything else away from the spiritual canticle and maybe like some of his loftier works of the spiritual canticle and the living flame of love and just his, his spiritual poetry in general uh i know for me i take away that like this is this is worth it and you're you owe yourself to at least try mm-hmm. you know and allow the Lord to work with that, and he will, because mm-hmm. we have God's grace to help us in this pursuit, that we don't have to just wander aimlessly, uh, hoping that we're going to find that door that keep hearing the knock on, but uh, it's there for us, and God wants to help us uh, to receive that. Absolutely. Yeah. He's longing for us in ways that are far beyond even the ways we long for him, so he wants us to succeed quote unquote he wants us to win he's not setting us up to fail um and so with that being said again kind of hoping that we're kind of just making you salivate a little bit that we're kind of making you think like i i want that yeah i'm packing off and going out to the desert now right we'll see ya (laughs) right well actually when you read the ascent or you read like what actually the soul has to go through to get this it does make you like okay i can see why suffering has its purpose and i'm not as adamantly opposed to it as right. I once was. Um, anyway, I, I, I'm hoping you, you're salivating a little bit and then 
not that we're going to study intensely in six weeks all of the works of St. John of the Cross, but I'm wondering, Father, if you have any, like, what's one thing that all of us who tuned in today can take with us to prayer, one practical thing that we can, like, sit with or do this week to help us kind of be receptive to this? Do you have anything that, like, comes to mind? Um, And maybe maybe it's, I don't know, something that just came to my mind is pull out your Bible and read the Song of Psalms, Mm. the Song of Psalms. Right? If you haven't done that, it's a shorter, it's a shorter, yeah, a little um, shorter. It's a book. pretty easy to, it's so easy to understand. It's a fairly easy reading uh, versus like, a, I don't know, like Leviticus or something like that. Right. Uh, right. And that's a good, it's a good question. I think, uh, I think just t- taking time to just sit with the Lord, you know, whether it's, you know, if you're at, close to a, close to a church, you just spend some time praying in front of the tabernacle, but just kind of entering into that just silence and, if if that if your prayer is nothing more than just thinking about the fact that God wants more for you than you know that he wa- that he wants more than you want for yourself like right mm-hmm. now and even just kind of thinking about that and just letting that be a meditation for mm-hmm. however short or long uh, I think might be might be fruitful because I could I could say like it's just from like personal experience uh, story of a soul was that book for me mm-hmm. that like. Uh, it was like just the fact of like reading it uh, is was uh, an inspiration to to pray and not pray about anything in particular, just to kind of just sit with that in prayer. Mm-hmm. And so I think whether it's you know Song of Songs, uh, reading John of the Cross, uh, or just the the fact that you know God wants a more intense spiritual life for you, just whatever whatever is inspiring, whatever speaking to your heart and like inspiring you to uh, seek the Lord, just ruminating on that, mm-hmm. I think is good prayer. You don't have to be overly uh, scrupulous about the methodology there. Mm-hmm. John is not overly scrupulous with methodology. You won't, you won't find a John's slick six system <laughs> for prayer. You know, I love that. Spend time with the Lord. Right. Be with him. Right. Well, Wine cellar. He even says that in his, in that opening that we, we read at the very beginning, right? Like, I'm, I'm leaving some, some room here for the Spirit to work. I, mm-hmm. I trust that I'm not going to explain this all perfectly, and I trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart and in your soul and will continue to guide you. So making ourselves receptive to right. that and, and, and perhaps verbalizing to the Lord that we desire it. And if we're not to the point where we desire it, that, you know, I heard these two crazy people on a podcast today and they told me I should. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. <laughs> I, they're, they're totally crazy and thanks for the penance. And also, um, I want to want what they want, <laughs> even if I don't fully understand what that is at this moment, you know? Okay. Yeah. St. So Augustine says we have to know a thing before we love it, right? It has, oh, to, be, it has yeah. to be in the intellect before it's in the yeah. will, right? And, and that's like... We're talking about the powers of the soul, the intellect being what uh, is received, and the will being that desire, that that eros again that's directed back outwards. So if, if that desire is not there, it's just because you, you just don't know, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. There are sources. Mm-hmm. You got the saints. You got scripture. You got spiritual writers. You got podcasts. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. So any final thoughts or final things before we? Close this one, and I think we will just close with the the poem here. But any final things before? Do you know where we're going next week? Like, what can people expect next week? Where what work are we're we doing? The ascent next week. Sure. We're going go big or go home. Okay, that sounds good. So next week we'll do the ascent. Um, it'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Comprehensive commentary on the ascent of Mount Carmel in one hour. That's uh huh. 
It's totally, That's a joke. That is a joke. <laughs> it's totally doable. So the ascent is all about stripping and purifying and going through these trials and, and the beauty of suffering. Right. And it's kind of what we're doing. And that dark night, what's, what's God doing? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And all about like feelings and feelings don't matter. Oh, yeah. And don't oh, we're going to hit hard. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So that sounds good. We'll be there <laughs> next week. Anything else with the canticle or final thoughts to the listeners slash viewers? I just praise God. He's good. He is good. And he loves us so very much. So, so yes, thank you for tuning in. Um, you can catch us again live same time next week, 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time where you're catching us now, Julia Mon, an author on Facebook, or you can tune in after the fact and catch us anytime. Um, okay, so can I play the role of the bride in the poems and you read the role of the bridegroom? I will do that. Okay, that seems to be most fitting. Um, so, yeah, we'll close with prayer and in this, what is it called when like an actor like actually does something? Well, like a soliloquy or something? I don't know. That's not right. Anyway, I'm not an actress. So anyway, we're just... Brutus is an honorable man, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So this this canticle, we did mention that. It does have stand up, stanzas that's the bride and the bridegroom, like having this dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay. So I'll read the parts where St. John writes the, the parts. Soul the, and, the soul in Christ. Correct. About? Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Where have you hidden, beloved, and left me moaning? You fled like the stag after wounding me. I went out calling you, but you were gone. Shepherds, you who go up through the sheepfolds to the hill, if by chance you see him I love most, tell him I am sick, I suffer, and I die. Seeking my love, I will head for the mountains and for watersides. I will not gather flowers nor fear wild beasts. I will go beyond strong men and frontiers. O wounds, woods, and thickets planted by the hand of my beloved. O green meadow coated bright with flowers. Tell me, has he passed by you? Pouring out a thousand graces, he passed these groves in haste, and having looked at them with his image alone, clothed them in beauty. Ah, who has the power to heal me? Now wholly surrender yourself. Do not send me any more messengers. They cannot tell me what I must hear. All who are free tell me a thousand graceful things of you. All wound me more and leave me dying of I don't know what behind their stammering. How do you endure, O life, not living where you live, and being brought near death by the arrows you receive from that which you conceive of your beloved? Why, since you wounded this heart, don't you heal it? And why, since you stole it from me, do you leave it so, and fail to carry off what you have stolen? Extinguish these miseries, since no one else can stamp them out. And may my eyes behold you, because you are their light, and I would open them to you alone. Reveal your presence, and may the vision of your beauty be my death. For the sickness of love is not cured except by your very presence and image. O oh, spring-like crystal, if only on your silvered-over faces you would suddenly form the eyes I have desired, which I bear, sketched deep within my heart. Withdraw them, beloved. I am taking flight. Return, dove. The wounded stag is in sight on the hill, cooled by the breeze of your flight.
My beloved, the mountains and lonely wooded valleys, strange islands and resounding rivers, the whistling of love-stirring breezes, the tranquil night at the time of the rising dawn, silent music sounding solitude, the supper that refreshes and deepens love. Catch us, the foxes, for our vineyard is now in flower, while we fashion a cone of roses intricate as the pines, and let no one appear on the hill. Be still, deadening north wind. South wind, come, you that awaken love. Breathe through my garden, let its fragrance flow, and the beloved will feed amid the flowers. You girls of Judea, while among flowers and roses, the amber spreads its perfume. Stay away there on the outskirts. Do not so much as seek to touch our thresholds. Hide yourself, my love. Turn your face toward the mountains and do not speak, but look at those companions going with her through strange islands. Swift-winged birds, lions, stags, and leaping roes, mountains, lowlands, and riverbanks, waters, winds, and ardors, watching fears of night. By the pleasant lyres and the siren's song, I conjure you to cease your anger and not touch the wall, that the bride may sleep in deeper peace. The bride has entered the sweet garden of her desire, and she rests in delight, laying her neck on the gentle arms of her beloved. Beneath the apple tree, there I took you for my own, there I offered you my hand and restored you, where your mother was corrupted. Our bed is in flower, bound round with leaking dens of lions, hung with purple, built up in peace, and crowned with a thousand shields of gold. Following your footprints, maidens run along the way. The touch of a spark, the spiced wine, cause flowings in them from the balsam of God. In the inner wine cellar, I drank of my beloved. And when I went abroad through all this valley, I no longer knew anything and lost the herd that I was following. There he gave me his breast. There he taught me a sweet and living knowledge, and I gave myself to him, keeping nothing back. There I promised to be his bride. Now I occupy my soul and all my energy in his service. I no longer tend the herd, nor have I any other work now that my every act is love. If, then, I am no longer seen or found on the common, you will say that I am lost, that stricken by love, I lost myself and was found. With flowers and emeralds chosen on cool mornings, we shall weave garlands, flowering in your love, and bound with one hair of mine. You considered that one hair fluttering at my neck you gazed at it upon my neck and it captivated you, and one of my eyes wounded you. When you looked at me, your eyes imprinted your grace in me. For this you loved me ardently, and thus my eyes deserved to adore what they beheld in you. Do not despise me, for if before you found me dark, now truly you can look at me, since you have looked and left in me grace and beauty. The small white dove has returned to the ark with an olive branch, and now the turtle dove has found its longed-for mate by the green river banks. She lived in solitude, and now in solitude has built her nest, and in solitude he guides her, 
He alone who also bears in solitude the wound of love. Let us rejoice, beloved, and let us go forth to behold ourselves in your beauty, to the mountain and to the hill, to where the pure water flows, and further, deep into the thicket. And then we will go on to the high caverns in the rock, which are so well concealed. There we shall enter and taste the fresh juice of the pomegranates. There you will show me what my soul has been seeking, and then you will give me, you, my life, will give me there what you gave me on that other day. Breathing of the air, the song of the sweet nightingale, the grove and its living beauty in the serene night, what a flame that is consuming and painless. No one looked at her, nor did Aminadab appear. The siege was still, and the cavalry, at the sight of the waters, descended. My friends, thank you so much for tuning in for this first episode of the six-part series. Father Jedediah and I will be praying for you, and humbly ask that you pray for us as well. May the Lord continue to bless us as we journey through these 40 days of Lent. I almost said Advent. I don't know, yeah. It's Lent. <laughs> it's Lent. <laughs> okay, have a good day, everyone. God bless.